Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. So let's go to Him in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we confess that You are source of all light. And by your word, you give light to the soul. We ask this morning then that you would pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding. That being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and our minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Like many catastrophes... The fall, as recorded in Genesis chapter 3, came without warning. But unlike many catastrophes, it came with a deceptive subtlety. In the midst of the garden, Satan, in the form of a serpent, deceived Eve, who, as you know, sinned by eating the forbidden fruit. And then she shared the temptation with Adam, and he ate too. And so fell our ancestors, and all of the human race. As the Westminster Confession says, that we all fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and as a result, became dead in sin, and wholly defiled in all parts and faculties of soul and body. In the history of human tragedies, the first was the worst. As subtle as the temptation was, The devastation was not affecting man's relationship with God, with one another, with creation, and consistently evidenced in the breaking of God's law. 
in our hearts and minds of the fallen, the Lord our God, He is not loved as He should be with all our heart, our soul, and mind. But we are substituting self for the sovereign. In the hearts and minds of the fallen, our neighbor is not loved as he ought to be loved by us. But we are substituting myself for yourself. This is, of course, not a new development. Let's be clear on this. We have not evolved to our current state of selfishness, but have lived for ourselves, well, since the fall. We have not progressed on this arc of history that we're told about, but rather, you and I are as fallen as Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel were. For example, consider the actions of our first parents, the first sinners on record. Though they had enjoyed uninhabited communion with their Creator, after they sinned, what did they do? Well, they fled, and then they hid, as if you can hide from the omniscient one. And rather than confess their sin and repent, you may recall that Adam blamed Eve. And Eve blamed the serpent. And indirectly, they both blamed God. You see, self-preservation is as old as sin. Because from the fall, sin became more than a deed. And this is important to note. Sin became more than a deed. It became our identity. We hear a lot today about identity. Well, if you want to trace the true understanding of identity back to the beginning, it's right here. Sin's not just a deed. It is our identity. Or to put it another way, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. For this reason, we need most not a good example or a better, evolved way of life. What we need most is salvation. Salvation not just from the wrath of God, but we need salvation from ourselves. Therefore, when Paul explains to the Corinthians in our passage today about the atoning, about the liberating effect of Christ's death, he adds this, look at verse 15 with me. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The self must be dealt with by death, but only Christ's death will do. Describing the motivation of his ministry, the Apostle Paul says, The love of Christ, catch this, the love of Christ controls us. It was a truth for the apostles, but so also for those who follow. But what does control mean? And what specifically is this love of Christ that Paul describes? Well, Paul explained that one has died, that is Christ, 
for all, that is all who believe in Him, and therefore all died, that is all who are in Christ. So the love of Christ is evidenced in the expression of His sacrificial death upon the cross. It is a controlling force. It's not just a historical reference for the Christian. It is a controlling force in your life and in mine, all who are in Christ. Because we deserved death and Christ died in our stead. In this is love, the Apostle John wrote to the church. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that's what Paul is describing here in verse 14, this controlling love of Christ. And this love, this love affects how we think, what we say, what we do, but it also impacts literally our identity. You know that identity that was established in the fall in Genesis chapter 3? So also, the death of Christ affects all who are in Christ, our identity. By virtue of our union with Christ, you see, we who are in Christ have died. We have died. In our standing before God, we are counted, therefore, as righteous. So in this sense, God considers our old life with the old self dead. Here's the way that Paul put it in chapter 4 of this same book. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul describes this personally to the Galatians when he confesses this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. What Paul describes is this connection between our death in Christ and our ongoing death to self. Yet, how often do we consider our spiritual enemy to be out there? Our spiritual enemy is everywhere else. We may think, for example, that it is the culture in which we live. And we may wage our culture wars with zeal. And we may even cleanse our culture. But guess who's still there, right in the middle of the culture? You. Me. Or we may separate ourselves going monk mode, right? Surely we won't be found hiding in our home. Surely we won't be found set apart from the world, hunkered down. And yet, who's in the cave with you? You. Me. Well, I may not be in the cave with you, but if I'm in the cave by myself, I'm there, right? And that's the point. <laughs> Our problem, you see, is not out there. Our problem is not elsewhere, but where? Here. Here's the problem. <laughs> and in the intimacy of our sinful flesh, tempting us to live for self rather than for Him who for our sake died and was 
raised. You see, here's your problem. Here's my problem. Your flesh knows you. And your flesh goes with you wherever you go. You can't outrun or hide from your flesh. But what you can do in Christ, you can deny it. You can crucify it. You can mortify it to the point that it is daily defeated. For the life we live by faith in the Son of God, we are all who are in Christ. We are to consider, that is, we are to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. But dying to self is only half of what Paul is talking about here in this verse. The other half deals with our life in Christ's life. We who no longer live for ourselves, for whom do we live? Well, look again at verse 15 with me. We live for Him who for our sake died and was raised. Yes, Jesus died for our sin that we might be eternally forgiven, that we might be reconciled to God. But also, God raised Him up, loosing Him from the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. Therefore, the mantra of every Christian, not just on Easter Sunday, should be, He is risen. Because in His resurrection, so also we have life. He who served us in death, we serve in life. Literally, our lives. And He who was raised to life, He is the life in which we live. Dependently. This of course changes the way that we see Christ. It changes the way, incidentally, how we see others. It changes the way that we even see ourselves. Let me explain. If you are in Christ, and what I mean by that is is that you have trusted in Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation from the wrath of God, from sin, from death. If you are in Christ you have witnessed this interesting point. As Christians, have you ever noticed that you see life differently than your unbelieving family and friends? Have you ever experienced that? You think, I thought that was just me. You too? Yes, me too. Huh. Of course, there are points of common interest with our unbelieving family and friends, shared perspectives in this common life, no doubt. But there is a divergence, isn't there? As the love of Christ controls us, leading us to actively die to self and live for Christ, we see certain aspects of our life differently and life in general. For example, there's one way that that is notable. We see Christ differently than unbelievers. We do not consider Him merely a good teacher. We do not consider Christ merely a role model to follow. Or even, as the Apostle Paul did once, as our adversary. No, we see Christ for who He is. Not only the historical prophet of Nazareth, but whom? The Son of God, Savior of sinners like you and like me. 
But likewise, we don't see others according to the flesh, as Paul puts it here. Or that could also be translated, we don't see others from a human point of view. We see our unbelieving family and friends as those in desperate need of salvation. And we see all Christians as new creations. We see all Christians as new creations. Paul explains it this way. Look at verse 17 with me. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is how we regard all who are in Christ, including ourselves. We are to see ourselves from this perspective. But there is more in Paul's reference to new creation here than may be apparent to us. Certainly, no doubt about it, Paul is describing here the new birth and the life that follows. But also, what may not be apparent here is Paul is also giving us a glimpse of what is yet to come. Let me explain it this way. As our New Testament was written in Koine Greek, if we were to go back to the original language and translate it, as translators would say, woodenly or quite literally, this verse would be translated this way. If anyone in Christ, a new creation... That should give us pause there. The verb is is not there, although it is implied undoubtedly. But there seems to be within this verse a heavy emphasis upon new creation. New creation describes who we are, but it also describes the first fruits of the new creation to come. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 20, Paul says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, emphasis, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, what creation longs for And what creation desires to be has already been revealed. In part, in whom? In you. And in me. Who obtained freedom. We have obtained the first fruits. In part, yes. In whole, not yet. And when John saw the end of time in his vision, in the apocalypse, he saw the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And this is the day, the scripture tells us, that creation longs for. To be released from subjection to futility. Unshackled from the bondage of, to corruption. Which has already begun in all who are in Christ. The children of God. Christ's resurrection then commenced the revelation of the new creation In all who believe. Let that sit in for a minute. Think about that. We often think of Christ's resurrection and the new creation statically. We think of them as separate chapters in a book. But actually, they are indeed two separate events 
But Christ's resurrection started what is currently unfolding through the gospel of Jesus Christ that is being advanced around the world. Yet we may wonder, is it the new creation something that we should long for? I mean, John, doesn't Scripture tell us that we are to patiently wait for the new creation? And undoubtedly that is so. But we don't wait to live it. That's the difference. We live the new creation today. We are, if I may put it this way, we are the sprouting buds of spring destined to flourish in the summer foliage of glory. Just as the old creation will one day pass away and the new creation will come for us, Just look one more time at verse 17. What does Paul say? For us who are in Christ, note it, the old has what? Passed away. What has come? The new. The new has come. Fact. Fact. Check it. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hmm. While the word miracle in our society, I think, is way overused, almost to the point of irrelevance sometimes, the new creation, this new creation that Paul describes here, it is a bona fide miracle. That is not pastoral hyperbole. It really is a miracle. Just as Jesus' resurrection from the dead was a bona fide miracle. We who were dead in our trespasses... What has happened to us? We have been brought to life. We have come to life together with Christ by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And all this, Paul says, all of this, Paul says, is from God. And it is from God with a relational purpose, which takes us right back to the beginning before the fall. All of this that I'm describing to you, that Paul has written to us, all of this is from God. Through Christ's death and resurrection, God has reconciled us to Himself. This is a miracle. That which was lost in the fall by the first Adam has been restored by the second Adam. This God has done monergistically. We didn't help him out at this. He didn't need your help. He didn't need mine. God did this for our good and for his glory. This message of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation is good news. The Greek word euangelion, which we translate as gospel. The word originally meant a victory in battle. We hear the word gospel, we should go, victory! Unless you're in public, and that may be a little weird, but you can in here. Just don't raise your hand, we're Presbyterians. <laughs> this message of reconciliation, it is the good news of victory. No longer are we separated from God, but as God promises at the end of the Bible, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Such a glorious reconciliation, however, is not one of compromise. 
And we need to be theologically precise on this because the world often gets very, very confused. It's a simple message, by the way, the gospel. God did not let our sin slide. His definition of holiness, it hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New. Nor will He accept anyone who is not perfectly righteous. No, reconciliation with God comes only through forgiveness of our trespasses against God's perfect law. It's a forgiveness in which our sins are covered. Forgiveness in which the Lord will not count, will not consider our sin. But such forgiveness is predicated upon the satisfaction of God's divine justice, which, praise be to God, was satisfied in Christ. Look at verse 21 with me. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. So what? So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Such is our reconciliation with God. Think about it. Perfect and complete. And because He who died for us also lives, for life is in Him, we are reconciled to life to live. Which I know is a tongue twister, but it makes sense if you capitalize the word life. We are reconciled to life to live our lives. Now, if hearing this good news, you realize that you have never believed it, then as Paul implored the Corinthians, so I implore you, be reconciled to God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him as He is freely offered in the gospel. And you will be saved even this Easter Sunday morning. Or if you, like me, are in Christ, but you find yourself tempted to live for yourself daily, then know that your daily life and my daily life are characterized by two things you need not forget. Repentance and faith. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For we are new creations. Transformed to live for Him who for our sake died and was raised. For all who are in Christ, for all who are in Christ, the new has come. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we celebrate this resurrection truth. That we are indeed new creations, even now awaiting the consummation and the new heavens and the new earth. We pray that you would encourage and enable us by your Holy Spirit to die to self daily, to mortify our flesh, and so also live out our lives for Christ's sake, for your glory. Now we pray today that you would help us as we go forth into this world to not forget your word that has been read and preached. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. 
Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org. Thank you.